Hey, All Souls Church, Pastor Harvey here. Uh, we're going to get now into the scripture. Uh, we're going to be in Genesis chapter 6. So we've been moving through the book of Genesis. So far, we've seen that God created the world. He created humans in His image uh, and all the animals and everything in the world. And that humans uh, fell into sin, uh, were deceived and fell into sin, began to broke, break the world. God promises redemption uh, through Jesus Christ, the one who is to come, is how they, they knew him. And last week we looked at how the first beginnings of the society began to develop, including the society of the church, uh, the people who call upon the name of the Lord. Uh, now, in chapter 5, which we didn't cover much last week, we have a list of names and uh, genealogies and years that people lived. And uh, so uh, that, that piece of it tells us, sets us up for this story. It tells us that, that people lived a long time before the flood, that, that they had a longer lifespan, and that God allowed that. But then as the flood, as we come closer to the flood, God does not allow for people to live as long. And that's going to be important to uh, what we're looking at today. So with that, let's go ahead and pray, read the text, and then we'll get into it. Heavenly Father, we come to you in the great name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the power of your Holy Spirit. And we pray and ask God that you would now fill us with your Spirit so that we can understand your grace and the text and your truth. And so we pray all these things in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, so I'm just going to actually jump right in and start moving through the text because we got a lot to cover and we're going to read a lot of the text anyway. I do want to make a disclaimer. There's some construction going on here in the building, so you might hear some uh, noises, so I apologize for that, but it's uh, what we have to deal with today. All right, well, Genesis chapter 6, we're going to be talking about the flood and Noah and the ark. Um, now, this particular story might come as a bit of a shock, especially as we get into it, because we're going to be talking about God's judgment on evil. And um, so we have to first understand that God is a God of love and truth and justice. And so because He is a God of love and truth and justice, He must eventually, and this is His plan to eventually, eradicate all things that are not love, all things that are not truth, and all things that are not just. If he does not do that, he's not a loving God. A loving, uh, a loving God that would leave sin forever, that would leave evil forever, would not be a loving God. And because he's loving and he is committed to truth and holiness, he is committed to eradicating his enemies and he's committed to eradicating everything that is evil. And if he was not a God that was committed to eradicating evil, he would not be a good God. So that's the first thing we need to understand as we enter this particular text. Now, uh, so here's my main point today. God's judgment is real, and so is grace. God's judgment is real, and so is grace. All right, let's pick up in chapter 6, verse 1. Now, these first few verses, there's a lot of uh, very difficult pieces. In fact, uh, this is one of the, the first few verses here, one of the hardest places in all of the Bible to interpret. The reason why I know that for sure is because there's so many different interpretations that don't really go together. And what that usually means is nobody really knows what these things mean. And people are doing their best to make a guess, making the connections that they can't. But uh, I'll explain as we go. Chapter 6, verse 1. 
when man began to multiply on the face of the land, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were attractive, and they took as their, as their wives any that they chose. Now, here we're not exactly sure what, who the sons of God are and who uh, the children of, daughters of men are for sure. There's a few different interpretations. One says that the sons of God is angels, and there's great reasons to believe that. And in other places in the Bible, we're told that uh, the sons of God are the angels. We're also told uh, in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 and 5, Peter says this, For God did not spare angels when they sinned, but cast them into hell, and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. If He did not spare the ancient world, but preserved Noah, a herald of righteousness, with seven others, when He brought a flood upon the world of the ungodly. So it seems to be saying that there was a judgment for angels, and then also a judgment for the world that would kind of fit into this text. A couple other possible interpretations is that the sons of God and the, and the, and the daughters of men refer to um, people that were of the line of people that believed in God were marrying people that didn't believe in God. That's a possibility. And uh, also another possibility which a lot of the reformers 500 years ago believed in is that it had to do with wicked rulers who were oppressing the people. So all of those are possible. Verse 3. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in man forever, for he is flesh. His days shall be 120 years. So right before this, we're seeing that people are living a really long time. And here now God is saying people are only going to live around 120 years. Obviously, most people don't live that long. And there are a few that lived past that in, in our records of, of history. Uh, but in general, uh, people went from living you know, 500, 800 years to um, just 120 at tops. And that's what we see. Uh, we're going to see how that affects the text in just a minute. Verse 4, here's one of the most confusing verses in all of the Bible. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God came into the daughters of men, they bore children to them, and these were mighty men who were of old, men of renown. These probably could be tied to wicked rulers, the Nephilim, or they could be some kind of giant that existed uh, back at this time. And in fact, in a lot of ancient societies, there are tales of that, that there were humans that were somehow giant that were called, uh, in some cases, Nephilim. We really don't know. This is another one of those ones we, we just don't know what it is. There's even a theory out there that says it's aliens. Uh, you know, so that means nobody really knows. Um, but for the rest of the text, we know pretty well what it all means. So let's keep moving. Verse 5. The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord regretted that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot out man, whom I have created from the face of the land, man and animals and creeping things and birds of the heavens, for I am sorry that I have made them." So the corruption of humanity had, at this point in history had come to such a height that God said, this car is totaled. Uh, there, there's nothing to be done with it. It just needs to be destroyed. It needs to be judged. It needs to be submerged. It needs to be cleansed. Uh, it needs to be baptized, in a sense. That God said that there's, 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 
There's nothing that could be done. Now, part of this was because of the wickedness of people at this time. If we think our world is broken, I think all of the pointers are that this part, this time in history was extremely dark uh, in the world. And, and, part of the, and that's part of the reason why God came and brought this swift judgment upon the world. Another piece is that people did live so long. And so they had more opportunities to harm each other, harm the world around them, and continue on in evil forever and ever, uh, you know, for hundreds of years. And so the compounding effect of sin, of people living longer, we have records of just a few people here, but we need to keep in mind there were thousands, hundreds of thousands of people probably on earth at this time that were living in evil, dark sin and rebellion against God, and just a few as we saw last week, we're calling upon the name of the Lord. And so the world was becoming extremely dark. And this is why God must judge it. Because He is a God of love, He must destroy evil. If He doesn't destroy evil, He's not a God of love. See, a God of truth and holiness must force out all things that are not true, all things that are not holy. And so God said, I'm going to bring destruction upon this world. Now, let's think about it for a second, because you might be struggling with the idea that God would judge humanity. You know, we talked about how we're created in the image of God. Well, what about that? Doesn't God love people made in His image? And the answer to that is yes. But it's also possible that humans can so corrupt themselves that they never will ever turn back to God. I was even reading this morning in the book of Revelation in chapter 9 where it says that even as God brings His justice at the end times, that there will be people that literally raise their middle finger to the sky and worship demons and false idols while God is judging the world. They don't repent. They don't turn. They double down on their evil. So let's just think about the evil in our world now as we think about judgment and justice. I'm just going to list a whole bunch of things, and I want you to kind of absorb them. And this is, of course, not an exhaustive list. Think about the things in this world that God must judge. Greed, slavery, genocides, violence, abortion, pedophilia, rape, molestation, deception, hate, indulgence, mass shootings, wars, economic inequality, hunger, terrorism, child soldiers, child prostitutes, selfish leaderships, enablers, deforestation, pollution, evil governments, nuclear weapons, divorce, religious manipulation, cults, unfair tax codes, ruthless politics, gossip, slander, divisions, judgmentalism, objectifying image bearers as objects for sexual satisfaction, prisons, bribery, exclusion, favoritism, unforgiveness, self-righteousness, rejection of God and His ordained authorities, rejection of all authority, church abuse, religious persecution, road rage, police brutality, criminal empires, injustice, racism, sexism, homophobia, perversions of sexuality, unjust business practices, pride, lies, hands that shed innocent blood, hearts that devise wicked schemes, false witnesses, People who create conflict in churches, church splits, watering down God's word, perverting the gospel, works-based religion, failure to give to the poor, pornography, Satanism, false religions, murder, 
blasphemy, lack of compassion, no mercy, ignoring the least of us, and the greatest sin, according to Jesus' parables, failure to give the grace that you have received. This is humanity. And this is not even an exhaustive list. In fact, I could go on for 30 more minutes listing things that are evil because of human hearts. And God wants to judge evil because He's good, because He's true. And what we have to understand from this text is that His judgment is real. That it's true, that it's actually going to happen. But just as His judgment is real, and it will come, because it will come again, not in the flood sense, but at the second coming of Jesus Christ, His judgment will come to this world, and it will come swiftly. It will come with strength and power, and nobody will be able to stop it. Um, so, we, we see here all of these, these, these things, but I, just as judgment is real, so is grace. Look at verse 6. This is such one of my favorite verses in all the Bible, actually. Uh, verse or sorry, verse 8. So he says all of this about humanity. I'm sorry I've made them. But Noah, it says, found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Uh, the word in your Bible that is translated there, favor, is actually the Hebrew word for grace. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. In fact, this is the first time in the Bible the word grace is mentioned, even though the concept we already saw has been happening up until this point, but now the word grace is meant. So everybody in the Eve world is living in this evil way, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Now, why Noah? Well, see, if you say why Noah, you don't understand what grace is. Noah was caught up in these other things as well. And we'll see next week that Noah was not a perfect man at all. What happened? God just decided to love Noah. And God just decided, yes, I'm going to bring judgment. I'm going to bring death. But there's also going to be a resurrection. And the resurrection will come through Noah. That there will be a new restart in humanity through Noah. But I need you to see that Noah just found grace in the eyes of the Lord. He didn't do anything to earn it. We're going to see the same thing with Abraham in a little while. That he doesn't do anything, but God comes to him. This is how God comes to you. You know, this is why you, it's so foolish to be self-righteous about uh, sinners in the world because the only difference between you and, and the worst person that you can imagine is grace. It's grace. It's not that you're better. It's not that you're smarter. It's not that you went to a better school. It's not that you got things figured out. It's not that you're from a better stock or a better family or you're just superior in some way. No, it's just grace. And I know that's hard to swallow. But that is what the scriptures teach on every page. It's all of grace. So God's judgment is true, we're about to see, but so is grace. He, Noah finds favor in the eyes of the Lord. Now, look at this. Verse 9, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Noah walked with God. Now, I want you to see that there is grace first, and then because of grace, Noah is righteous. Grace God's grace is what will make us righteous. And we, the scriptures teach us that we're righteous by faith. We're not righteous by our works. We're righteous by our faith. And so the other thing that we're told about Noah, that he was blameless in his generation. That doesn't mean he was blameless across the board. But compared to the rest of the world at that time, he seemed like a blameless guy. And the other thing that we're told that is about Noah's faith, that Noah walked with God. 
One time I was in uh, Van, Turkey, which is on the border of Iran and Turkey. And uh, it was an amazing situation. I wish I had time to tell the whole story. But basically, uh, these people that were doing ministry in Iran, where the gospel is illegal, uh, church leaders, house church leaders, snuck over the border or found a way to get into Turkey so that they could come and get Bible training. And I was privileged to be one of the people to teach. Now, these people are suffering persecution and standing for their faith in an amazing way. I felt inadequate to teach them. But as I began to teach them, I realized that I was there for a purpose uh, because I covered this verse as I was teaching them on grace. And the person that was doing the translation for me mistranslated it because I said that uh, Noah was called by grace and that that's what made him righteous. And she translated it as Noah was righteous and that's why he found grace. So the guy that I was with, who was a pastor who spoke Farsi, uh, stopped and said, no, that's not what he said. And he began to have a dialogue with her in Farsi and she began to argue with him. She did not believe, even though she's a Christian house church leader, she did not believe that God operates on the basis of grace. She still, as a former Muslim, believed that God was operating with us on the basis of our works. And uh, so they had to have this exchange and, uh, and basically for the rest of my talk, my friend um, Afshin, who speaks Farsi, he translated for me for the rest of the time because this, this woman uh, didn't believe in the concept of grace. I say that to say, you must understand that grace comes before walking with God, that grace comes before faith, that God gives us grace and then we have faith. God gives us grace and then we walk in righteousness. It's not we walk in righteousness and God gives us grace. So God just is going to judge the whole world, but he decides to give Noah grace. Okay. Now, verse 10, and Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and the earth was filled with violence. Now this is one of the ways that you can know that the, the world is becoming darker. This, we can see this in the United States. Violence. Violence is a key marker of a society going sideways. And that's no mistake that every day you turn on the news and there's mass shootings and people killing each other. Violence is continuing. Wars all over the world are happening. Violence is happening all over the world now. Verse 12, And God saw the earth, and behold, it was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted their way on the earth. And God said to Noah, I have determined to make an end of all flesh, for the earth is filled with violence through them. Behold, I will destroy them with the earth. So God says, I'm bringing my judgment down. I'm going to destroy everyone. But to Noah, he says this, Make yourself an ark of gopher, gopher wood. Make rooms in the ark and cover it inside and out with pitch. This is how are you to make it. The length of the ark, 300 cubits, its breadth, 50 cubits, its height, 30 cubits, which is 450 feet long, 75 feet wide, and 45 feet high. Make a roof for the ark and finish it a cubit above. Verse 17, For behold, I will bring a flood of waters upon the earth to destroy all flesh in which is the breath of life under heaven. Everything that is on the earth shall die. Everything that is on. So God is going to completely bring judgment to the earth that everything will die. Men, women, children, animals, everything. But God says this to Noah. And this is another aspect where God steps in with grace. But I will establish my covenant with you. In other words, I'm judging everybody, but I will establish my covenant with you. This is grace. Noah had not earned this. This is grace. Now, picture Noah. 
he uh, begins to build this massive boat on dry land. You can imagine the shame and the reproach that he was feeling from other people. Uh, this whole idea, he says, that God's judgment is going to come with a flood, and everybody mocked him and despised him. We're told uh, in Hebrews uh, about Noah, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 17 says this, By faith Noah, being warned by God concerning events as yet unseen, in reverent fear constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this he condemned the world, he condemned the world and became an heir of righteousness that comes by faith. So Abraham was a man of faith. He did not have the evidence that the flood was going to come. He only had God's word. I want to say that again. He did not have evidence the flood was going to come. He only had God's word that it was going to come. And you should know that the same thing is true about judgment now. We don't have evidence for sure that Jesus is going to return. We just have God's word that Jesus is going to return. And that when he returns, it will be judgment day. And that all who have not bowed to God will be judged just like on this day. Judgment is real, but so is grace. And this is the grace that he makes. I will make a covenant with you, Noah. Now, a covenant is a promise of grace that is completed by God. In other words, it's, it's not something we do. It's something that God does for us. So after this, he says, he gives a description. I want all of the animals, two by two, to be brought in. Pairs of all of the animals to be brought into the ark because I want to preserve the animals as we move forward. In verse 22, it says, Noah did this. He did it all. He did all that God commanded him. Then the Lord said to Noah, Go into the ark, you and all your household, for I have seen that you are righteous before me in this generation. Take with you seven pairs of all clean animals. So we see seven animals here for certain clean animals because there was going to be sacrifices with those animals and just pairs for the rest of the animals. And in verse 5 we're told, And Noah did all that the Lord commanded him. So we see the pattern. God gives grace and Noah exercises faith and obedience. Grace, faith, obedience. It starts with God's grace, then there is faith, then there is obedience. And this is what we see Noah doing. So I want to say that so you understand that if you are saved by grace, you will have faith in God and you will have obedience. Not perfectly, but you will have obedience as Noah had obedience. So they all go into the ark. Him and his family, they all they get into the ark and they are now safe. In verse ten, and after seven days, the waters of the flood came upon the earth. In the six hundredth year of Noah's life, in the second month, on the seventeenth day of the month, on that day, all the fountains of the great deep burst forth, and the windows of the heavens were opened, and rain fell upon the earth for forty days and forty nights. So the rains begin to fall and the floods begin to come and Noah and his family are now inside of the ark. Look at verse 16. And those that entered, male and female of all flesh, went in as God had commanded him and the Lord shut him in. The Lord shut him and his family and these animals inside of the ark so that his judgment could come. Now, I want you to see that God does not save them from the judgment completely. Instead, He saves them through the judgment. And this is how it always works. God does not save us from our trials. He saves us through our trials. 
He does not save us from our pain. He saves us through our pain. And this is what we see happening uh, with, with these. Now, what we can learn from Noah here, that our primary calling is to repeatedly place faith in Jesus. To place faith in Him is to trust Him. Noah had to just trust God for all these years that he was building the ark. Literally, uh, possibly up to 80 to 100 years, he's building this ark with his family. Being mocked by all those around and yet kept his faith in God and his word. Well, verse 17, the flood continued for 40 days on the earth. And the waters increased and bore up the ark and rose high above the earth. And the waters prevailed and increased greatly on the earth. And the ark floated over the face of the waters. Judgment came. And verse 21, And all flesh died that moved on the earth. Birds, livestock, beasts, all swarming creatures that swarm on the earth, and all mankind. Everything on dry land whose nostrils was the breath of life died. God brought the judgment. And this is in the scripture for so many reasons, but you need to understand that God is going to bring the judgment. He's not going to flood the earth like he did here. But when Jesus returns, it will be judgment day on evil. And if you're not in the ark, you will be judged. God has provided us an ark. And the ark is our Lord Jesus Christ and his cross. And all who get on that ark will be saved from the judgment. But if you want to stand on your own two feet and mock those who are waiting on the return of Christ, then you will face the judgment yourself. And it will come as swiftly as this one did. It will come with no more mercy. Mercy is now. Mercy is from the time that Jesus rose from the dead and he returns. But once he returns, it's over. Judgment will come. Jesus himself says this. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 24. For as it were... For as it were in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking and marrying and giving them marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark. And they were unaware until the flood came and swept them all away. So will it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Then two men will be in the field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. The judgment is coming. So if you have found grace in the eyes of the Lord, what is your call? To continue to exercise faith in Him and obedience towards Him. If you're not in the Lord, what is the call? Get on the ark. You need to get on the ark. And the ark is Jesus and His cross. It is through His cross that He saves us from the judgment that we so justly deserve. It says that the waters prevailed on earth for 150 days. So they were in this ark. So they were not only having to exercise faith to get into the ark, but now they've been in it for so long. Days are passing. Half a year has passed and they're still in this ark and they have to exercise their faith in God. Well, all who get on the ark will be saved just like them. And next week we'll pick up uh, what happens after this. But I want you to see how this ties to the gospel of Christ. The apostle Peter talks about this concept with Noah in 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. 
Peter says this, For Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but being made alive in the Spirit, in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prisons, because they formerly did not obey, when God's patience waited in the days of Noah, while the ark was being prepared, in which a few, that is eight persons, were brought safely through water. So this is what it says, that Jesus died on the cross to bring us to God, but then when he was dead for three days, somehow he went to all of these people that were killed in the flood. They were in some kind of prison, according to this passage, and Jesus proclaimed his victory to them. Now, we don't know if he proclaimed his victory and he says, my victory is won, you're still under judgment, or if he proclaimed his victory and called some of them to faith and repentance. We also don't know that if some of these people that were died in the flood did have faith, they were just caught up in the judgment. We, don't, we just simply, we don't know. But what we do know is this, uh, that, that Noah waited with patience, and we must wait with patience until the final results of Jesus' cross and resurrection are true at His second coming. The Apostle Peter continues, he says this, Baptism, which corresponds to this, now saves you, not as a removal of dirt from the body, but as an appeal to God for a good conscience through the resurrection of Jesus Christ, who has gone into heaven and is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Him. So this is, this is the idea. God could not just fix the world. He had to kill it. And he killed it in, by baptizing the world with a flood. In the same way, the Apostle Peter says, God could not just tweak you a little bit. He had to kill you. And the way that he kills you is through baptism. You just go underwater and come back up. But the bat, what you're baptized into is the death and resurrection of Christ. And when you're baptized into the death and resurrection of Christ, you're united to Him, who this passage says, who has gone into heaven is at the right hand of God with angels and authorities and powers having been subjected to Him. You now belong to Him. You, if you put your faith in Jesus, you are in the ark. And the, by the way, the only way you'll put your faith in Jesus is if He has grace on you first. So He has grace, you have faith, and then the evidence that you truly have faith and have received grace is that you continue a life of obedience, not perfect obedience, a stumbling, fumbling kind of obedience, just like Noah's, but obedience nonetheless, because obedience is the evidence of, of faith. So here's my call to you. Get on the ark. And if you are on the ark, or if you do get on the ark, listen to what, uh, remember it said God shut them in? In the same way God has shut you in if you're on the ark. The waters, the floods cannot harm you because you're on the ark. Yeah, you might rock around in the boat and you might get uh, tired of waiting those 150 days and you might be tired of the smells of the animals and the pain and the frustration of dealing with that situation. But you're on the ark and you're shut in and you're going to make it through judgment if you're on the ark. The ark is our Lord Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life, who died on the cross, who rose again from the dead. And all who put their faith in Him are on the ark and will be saved from God's judgment. Listen, the gospel is good news because there's bad news. 
The bad news is that we deserve to be judged for our sins. The good news is that the judge has been judged in our place. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you do bring judgment to eradicate evil, but you also give grace. As recipients of grace, we're humbled and we're thankful. We pray that you would get on the ark so many people that live around us that we have relationship with that don't know you. Call them onto the ark, Lord, and save their souls. We pray this in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.